0: Listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at SojournFairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of His Word. If you could please stand with me and open your Bibles to Psalm 125. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways... The Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. Well, good morning. It's good to gather with you this morning. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. And man, it's good to be back this Sunday. I missed gathering with you last week. A few of us uh, traveled to go visit Kim, one of the missionaries that we have sent out from our church over in the Middle East. And so uh, it was a joy to be with her, and we're going to share more about that in the coming days Uh, But we had an opportunity, Edward and I had an opportunity to gather uh, with the church over there. And man, what an awesome experience it was to hear the Word of God preached in Arabic, uh, to sing songs in another language, uh, and just to see the body of Christ as it exists globally. That God's desire is to reach the nations, and we saw much of the nations gathering together as we worshiped with our brothers and sisters there. But you know what? I miss being with you guys. Because God has put us in this particular family as you as our brothers and sisters. I'm glad. Uh, so it's good, it's good to be back with you this morning, this Sunday, to worship together. Also, this is a special Sunday because the kids are in here gathering together this morning. And so I'm grateful for that. Uh, we love our kids in this church, love our families, and just being able to worship together. This does two things. It gives our volunteers, our awesome Sojourn Kid volunteers, a break on the fifth Sunday of the month. Uh, And it also gives us an opportunity to be the family of God together, to allow our kids to see us worshiping and listening and gathering together as God's people. So kids, we're grateful that you're here this morning and excited to dive into God's word uh, in Psalm 125. But before we do that, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time in his words. Would you pray with me? God, we come before you this morning and we acknowledge your power God, we acknowledge your presence this morning. God, that there is nowhere we can go. There's nowhere we can run to get away from you. Whether we go to the highest mountain on the earth or to the depths of the sea, there's nowhere we can go to get away from you. And God, that can be both a terrifying thing and a comforting thing. Because God, you are holy and majestic and almighty. God, you care for us and you love us and you shower grace and mercy upon us. So God, we acknowledge who you are this morning as we open up your word to another psalm that testifies to who you are. God, I pray that you would draw us to yourself, that you would give us fresh eyes to see who you are this morning, that you would enliven our hearts. If we've been straying away from you, if we don't yet know you, God, would you awaken our hearts this morning to receive not just your truth, not just your word, but you, God, we want to experience more of your power and experience more of your presence, and so I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, as the word is proclaimed this morning, that you would be exalted here in this place, and that because of that, you would be exalted in our lives as we go from here into our week ahead. God, thank you for the gift it is to gather together as the body of Christ. Thank you, God, that we exist as the body of Christ here, but we are a part of the global body of Christ. Brothers and sisters from every tribe, language, and nation, God, that's where we're going. That's where you're going. God, thank you that we get to be a part of that. So I pray this morning as we open up your word now that it would be a time of worship, a time of exaltation, and you would increase our faith and hope in you. So we ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey kids, I got a question for you this morning. Raise your hand if you've ever flown on an airplane before. All right, all right, a good amount of you. Rocky has two, good. All right, so if you, if you haven't flown an airplane, or you can put your hands back down. Raise your hand if you have either seen a mountain or climbed up a mountain before. Yeah? Okay. A good amount of you have seen mountains, climbed up mountains before. That's good. That's good. Well, hey, on my trip to Jordan this past week, we flew uh, through Europe. And so we flew near some really big mountains when we were landing in Austria. And then when we flew into the Middle East, we flew near really big mountains. It's a very mountainous area where we were at. In fact, the, the city that we were in, it has tons of hills in it. In all the neighborhoods and places that people live and their stores and all that kind of stuff. And all of those neighborhoods are actually called, they're called places like Jabal Hussein or Jabal Webday, which means mountain. The word Jabal means mountain in Arabic. Now, these weren't enormous mountains or hills, but they were steep to walk up, which we did a lot of walking up hills. It seemed like we were always going uphill when we were there. But then one day, yeah, Edward was with me, so you know we were walking up hills. Uh, One day... We, we got to go to the Dead Sea, which I don't know if you know this, the Dead Sea is the lowest point on earth. It's 1,400 feet below sea level. And so we're in this place, we're seeing these big mountains, and we're also at the lowest point on the face of the earth. And right across from the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea creates the border between Jordan and Israel, and you actually see Palestine from the other side of the Dead Sea, and there's a mountain range right there. It kind of creates this border between these two places, And on the way back from the Dead Sea, we drove by Mount Nebo. Mount Nebo is the place that God took Moses to show him the promised land, to say, this is where I'm taking my people. We got to drive by that. What an amazing experience to see some of these things. You know, there's something majestic, even mesmerizing about looking at mountains. These mountains are, that we saw weren't super big, weren't super huge. We can go out to Colorado and see way larger mountains out there, all the 14ers that are out in Colorado. But it doesn't matter what size mountain it is. When you look at it, it's a, it's a mesmerizing thing. It makes you feel small in that moment. Well, as we continue on in our summer sermon series this sermon series we're calling the Songs for Sojourning, we come to another psalm that was sung and recited by God's people as they journey to the temple in Jerusalem several times a year. God gave them this songbook, kind of a, a track list to, to play as they journey to this place of worship. And so they would rehearse these songs and rehearse these poems and repeat them over and over again. And they did so for a particular reason. They wanted to be reminded that their story exists in the midst of God's bigger story. That they each, each person has their own individual story, but it exists in the midst of God's bigger, larger story. And so as they sung these songs, it helped to encourage them. It helped to calm and quiet their anxieties and fears in the midst of the uncertainties of life. Now, you and I don't journey to a temple any longer, but we are all still on a journey. All of us sojourning, all of us passing through, living in a place that is not our home. And all along the way, there are moments and circumstances within our own lives that can call us to make us feel uh, uncertain, that can cause us to feel that way. We may not know what's happening, and that's because we have a lack of knowledge. That's where uncertainty comes from. When there's uncertainty in your life, it it develops because there's a lack of knowledge. You don't know why something's happening. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what is happening in your life. And in our world, knowledge is power. And when we lack knowledge, when we feel like we don't have the knowledge that we need, we can feel powerless. So when we feel uncertain and we feel powerless, what happens is we lack security. This feeling that we will be kept safe. And who doesn't want to be kept safe? Whether you're a kid or an adult, we all desire safety and security. Now, our world offers us lots of different ways to experience security and safety, right? I mean, we have home security systems. I would guess most of us lock our doors at night. We have nightlights in our rooms or bathrooms. We have airbags in our cars. We have insurance on our homes, our cars, renter's insurance, jewelry insurance. I mean, all kinds of different ways to ensure safety and security in the case of loss. And so those things aren't necessarily bad things to have. They can be good things. They can be helpful things. But God's Word tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In other words, when we understand who God is, when we see Him for who He is in His rightful place, It's then, in all of His holiness and all of His awesomeness and majesty, it's then that we can lay that uncertainty aside. We can lay it aside and we can find true security and find true peace in Him. And that's the focus of Psalm 125 that we're going to look at this morning. As God's people journeyed to Jerusalem, there was always a lot going on in their lives, always a lot going on in their community, always a lot going on in the world. And so the psalmist, the writer of this psalm, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gave them a visual reminder of where their security in this life comes from. And this is helpful for us today, because God, like God's people then, we too have a lot going on in our lives. A lot going on in our community, a lot going on in our world. And the truth of Psalm 125 is a gift of grace for us today. So my hope is whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus, or maybe you're here just kind of checking out who Jesus is, whether you're a, a kid or an adult, that God will, by his spirit, work through this time in this short psalm to do a transforming work in your life. And here's the transformation, that God would lead you to trust him above all things. To trust in him above all things. And that as you trust in him above all things, what that would allow you to do and enable you to do is to navigate through any and every circumstance that might come your way. That God would equip you this morning to, in order to trust in him, that no matter what happens in your life, that you'd be rooted and secure in him. So let's jump into Psalm 125 this morning, and may God bless the preaching of his word the Psalmist begins by making a statement of truth by way of analogy. Look at verse one again. He says, "Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever." He says, "If you trust in the Lord, and, and remember, any time that we see Lord, LORD in all capital letters, the, the, it's a translation or a, um, yeah, a translation of the Hebrew word for the proper name of God, Yahweh. So this isn't just some Lord. It is the Lord. It is the God. It is Yahweh. So he's saying, if you trust in the Lord, if you trust in Yahweh, this is what's going to happen. You cannot be moved. In other words, if you trust in Yahweh, you will be secure. And that's what we long for. We long for that security. We long for that stability in our life. Now Mount Zion was a central place for God's people in God's place. It's where Jerusalem is. And at this time, it's where the temple was, where the people were traveling to as they were singing this song. So to make his point, he reiterates it by rephrasing it in verse 2. Look at verse 2. It says, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord, so Yahweh surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. See, Jerusalem is... One of the highest points in Israel, and it's surrounded by seven hills that essentially make it a fortified city, making it harder for enemies to attack. And so let's put these pieces together. Do you see what the psalmist is doing here? These sojourners are making their way to the temple. They're singing this song, and they would have actually seen the mountains that they were singing about. As they're journeying to Jerusalem, they see these seven hills surrounding Jerusalem, surrounding the temple. And the psalmist is using this as an illustration He's telling God's people, look at those mountains. Do you see those mountains? Just like those mountains that surround the temple, that surround this place of worship, so does Yahweh surround all who trust in him from this time forth and forevermore. He, he, is like an envelope around you. His arms are wrapped around you. You are hidden in him. He surrounds you. This isn't a temporary promise. It's a promise that endures throughout life for God's people then and for God's people now. See, they are reminded of this reality as they revisit and repeat this song of sojourning often. And we are reminded of it today as we take some time to rehearse these truths together. But here's the key. Here's what I want us to see in this. What the psalmist is encouraging all of God's people for all of time, including you today, in your own time of sojourning in a place that is not your home, as you and I wait for the new heavens and the new earth, What he's doing, what he's encouraging us is that when you trust in the Lord, you are able to be secure. But get this, not because of your ability to trust. Not because of your ability to trust, but because the Lord, who is faithful and trustworthy, surrounds you. That's why you have security, because he is faithful and trustworthy and he surrounds you like the unmovable mountains around Jerusalem. It's important for us to get this. Because the reality is, what that means for you is it's not up to you. It isn't up to you to have a strong faith, a strengthened faith. It's it's the strength of the object of what or who your faith is in that provides security. This is so good for us to remember even now. There is security that comes not from your circumstances. There is security that comes not from your knowledge, what you know, There's security that comes not from your ability, what you're able to do, but a security that comes when you trust in Yahweh, the God of all creation, the one who made everything and holds everything together, the one who's high and lifted up, who's transcendent and different and separate from us, yet is also intimately involved in the details of our life. When we trust in him, we can have security. See, to trust is to have confidence in someone. Or something. Not not just cognitively, like in your brain, you trust them. But kind of that deep, within your soul kind of trust. And when you trust someone at that level, it enables you to be vulnerable. It enables you to be unguarded. To experience peace. To take a deep breath. It enables you to be secure. So let me ask you. Are you actively daily, moment by moment, trusting in this God? I know I struggle with that. When I really think about that question for my own life, that on a moment-by-moment basis, am I actively trusting in God, that He is the one that surrounds me, that He is the one that provides my security? When I look at my life, oftentimes I could say, yes, I do sometimes, but I also trust in these other things. When my circumstances are a certain way or I have the knowledge to know what's going to happen next maybe you struggle with that as well now there's a lot more to say about this but let's continue for a moment as the psalmist continues look at verse 3 he writes for the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong now what exactly is going on here what's he saying He's saying God will protect his people from evil so they don't do evil. He's going to protect them from evil so they don't do evil. Now, do you know what it means to be influenced by someone? Kids, do you know what it means to be influenced by someone? You know what it means? Tell me. Yeah, that's good. So, so Benjamin said, they, they control what you do or what you want to. They influence your decisions and your choices, right? So the Bible tells us that bad company corrupts good morals. In other words, if we only spend our time with people who are not going to help us to trust in the Lord, then we will soon be led astray. Soon be led astray to trust in someone or something else. And you and I are surrounded by people like that all the time. And it's not, a, it's not a call for us to remove ourselves from culture, to remove ourselves from our neighbors, to go build a compound and all just hang out together and sing kumbaya with one another. I love you guys, but, but it's, it's recognizing the fact that when we are around people that aren't trusting in the Lord, we need to make sure that we're surrounding ourselves with people who are. They're going to help us re- be reminded of who our God is, that that's where our only hope is, that where, that's where our security is found because our world is going to constantly tell you to find your hope, to find your security in something or someone else. Evil is always glad to corrupt whatever it can. It's like water. It finds the path of least resistance and it goes after it. But we have to understand something. In the midst of this, we can say, great, okay, I got it, let's do this. But the reality is you can't do this on your own. You can't just try harder to trust more. It has to be God who shortens the reign of wickedness in your life. He has to be the one that pulls that back. He's the one that protects you. He is like the mountains that surround you. In this verse, in verse 3, we're assured he will, both on the cosmic level and the communal level and the personal level, that God is not going to to allow the scepter of wickedness to reign over you. Now this sounds like a surefire promise, but if you know anything about the history of God's people, then you know that the scepter of wickedness at times did land on his people. They were overrun and exiled, conquered and defeated. They even had evil kings within the people of God who walked away from God, who didn't trust in Yahweh alone. But see, I think that's the key. A way that God lives out the truth of verses 1 and 2 is for his people is when his people trust in him alone that as we find our hope in him, as we place our trust in him, that he provides that protection from wickedness in our lives. So the psalmist isn't ignoring reality. He isn't ignoring history. What he's doing in verse 3 is calling God's people towards the ideal. He's calling God's people to be rooted in the faithfulness of God, to come back to him, to focus again on him, to believe that it will not be a waste of your time to trust in God, that it will not be not worth it to do it, that it really is worth it to trust in him and him alone. See, friends, we have to remember that God is always, always faithful to his plans. He's always faithful to his promises. He's always faithful to his purposes. He's always faithful to his people. And in the end, he will not allow the unrighteous and wicked to rule over his people forever. Our God is a God of both justice and mercy. And this leads to the next two verses. Look at verse 4. He says, Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. The psalmist shifts from a declaration of truth to a prayer. He has just said that God will ultimately protect us from wickedness, and now he's asking God to do something. He says, God, do good to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart, to those who are kind and humble, who are others-oriented. In other words, he's saying, do good to those who seek to walk in holiness, those who seek to be faithful to the call and commands of our God and King, the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come. Do good to those people. And that makes sense to us. I mean, our world gets that. People who do good things should receive good things. I mean, we see that in school. If you do good work on your paper or your test or your project, you get a good grade. You get rewarded for that. If you do good at your job, you do what you're asked to do or above and beyond that. Sometimes you get a promotion or a pay increase or a bonus. You don't get fired. Right? You, you understand this idea of doing good, receiving good. Here's the thing there's a problem and it's a a really big problem None of us are good on our own Romans chapter 3 verses 10 and 11 say this none is righteous none is good no not one no one understands no one seeks for God And later on in Romans 3:23 it says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God In fact when we look at our own lives we are often more like the people of verse 5 than verse 4 Look at verse five, it says, But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, who turn aside from what? From trusting in the Lord. The Lord will lead away with evildoers. See, all of us have chosen to go our own way. God has said, I am good and I am faithful and I'm the king, trust in me. And we've said, Ah, I think I want to trust in myself. I want to pursue my own things. I want to be the king or queen of my life. I want to be the ruler over my life. We allow self to rule us constantly. Orienting our lives around what's good for us. Our trust is so often in other things besides God. And that's sin, that's rebellion against God. All of us have done that. From the earliest of age, when we came out of the womb to wherever you are in life now, we seek to assert our will and build our kingdom. And the consequences for our rebellion, Scripture tells us, is death and eternal separation from God. The psalmist is right. That all who turn aside, who turn away from God to, the, to their own crooked ways will be led away by God with evildoers to bear the righteous wrath of God for our rebellion. That's heavy. And it can be scary to think about. But friends, we need not despair. Because this psalm gives us hope. Look at verse 1 and 2 again. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. See, we have to understand something. The transformation you need cannot come from being good on your own. And I struggle with this. I often want to try and be good or do good on my own. I want to be told that I am good. But the reality is that would be trusting in myself, not trusting in God. The goodness you need to replace your rebellion has to come from God. It has to come from trusting in our God. The greatest expression of your trust in God is admitting your need for him. Admitting the fact that you are not in control, that you are not God, but have actually rebelled against him by trusting in someone or something else, by admitting that you need a savior and a Lord and a redeemer. See, the Bible, from beginning to end, tells the story of redemption. That our God is good and desires to do good to us and for us by making a way to rescue us from our sin. To rescue us from our trusting in other things. To rescue us from our fears. To rescue us from our foolishness. To rescue us from ourselves. God's word tells us that he is seeking to remaster our lives so that we would no longer be slaves to sin and fear, but be set free to be a beloved child of God. The reality for all of us, whether you're a kid or an adult, is that apart from redemption and rescue, we cannot be good. But the good news, the message of the gospel, is that the way of rescue has come in the person and work of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus lived a perfect life completely trusting in the Father, never being led astray. He led a life of perfect obedience to the Father, following Him in all things. And then Jesus went to the cross to die in the place of rebels and sinners like you and me. We read some of Romans 5 this morning. Later on in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says this, but God shows His love for us and that while we were still good, while we were getting everything right, while we were trying really hard, it says, while we were still sinners, rebels, Christ died for us. While we were trusting in something and someone else, while we were trusting in ourselves, Jesus died for us. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For our sake, he, meaning God, made him, meaning Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. See, Jesus came to take on our sin and give us His goodness so that now when you place your trust, when you place your faith in who He is and what He's done, God looks at you and He doesn't see your lack of trust. He sees the goodness of Christ, the righteousness of Christ. He sees the one who took the place for your punishment. What an amazing reality. What amazing grace. My question for you this morning is, do you believe that? Have you repented of your rebellion and truly placed your trust in Jesus? Believing He is who He says He is and He came to accomplish what He said He came to accomplish. To die on the cross in your place and be raised to new life so that you might have life. Have you trusted in Christ? And if you have trusted in Christ, if you have a point in your life where you confessed your sin and you said, I need Jesus. I need to be saved by Jesus. Let me ask you this. Are you trusting in Him right now, today? See, the assurance of your salvation is not based on some past personal event. The confidence that you have that you're surrounded by God isn't that you walked down the aisle in a church one time or that you prayed a prayer or that you threw your stick in the fire at camp. You checked a box on a card. said you're going to trust in Jesus. The confidence of your salvation, the confidence that God surrounds you is that you're trusting in him at this moment. Are you trusting or are you pretending? Do you really trust in him, that he is who he says he is? The psalmist ends this short song for sojourning with a declaration. He says, peace be upon Israel. This is not just some pronouncement for blessing over a particular ethnic group. This is a blessing for all of God's people, pronounced over all who trust in the Lord. See, friends, we can have this kind of peace, this kind of security. We can rejoice today, even in the midst of the craziness of life, because God raised Jesus from the grave to the throne, to rule and reign as the King of kings and the Lord of lords forever and ever. There is a king who sits on the throne, and it isn't you. And that's amazing news. What this psalm and its fulfillment found in Jesus does is it allows us to be candid about our lives. Because the reality is, you and I find ourselves waiting for Christ to return to make all things new. And it can be difficult at times. But what this psalm allows us to do is to be candid, to be honest about our fears. Why? Because the object of our faith is secure. We can come before the Lord and we can confess, God, I'm having a hard time trusting in you. I'm having a hard time feeling secure right now. I don't know what's going on. Everything around me seems unsettled. And God is not knocked off course because of that. He's like those mountains that surround Jerusalem that are stable and secure. You can bring anything and everything to him. And he's not going to go, I I don't know. I didn't know that was going to happen in your life. He's not up there wringing his hands like, I'm just as nervous as you are. No, our God is secure, you can trust in Him. You can come before Him. He surrounds you completely. See, I think one threat to our security in this life comes from those feelings of depression and doubt. The psalm says we're unmoved when we trust in the Lord, but I don't know about you, but I can be frequently moved. It doesn't take much in my life to diminish my joy, to diminish my faith. Does that ever happen to you? So what's going on with that? See, I think sometimes we go through life and we experience kind of a spiritual vertigo. Has anybody ever had vertigo before? Or dizziness? Right? Where everything around you seems to be spinning. It seems like the whole world is moving even though your feet are standing still. Everything around you can be moving. Everything can be kind of constantly kind of blurry and creating this dizziness effect. And so sometimes I think we have this spiritual vertigo where everything around us seems to be kind of chaotic and and out of focus. But one of the things that can help sometimes when you're experiencing that is to try to find something to focus on. To have a focal point. Life may be up and down at moments, but God isn't. He provides that focal point. He provides stability and is ever faithful, calling us in those moments when everything around us seems chaotic and out of control. He calls us again to repentance and to faith, to turn away from trusting in some other circumstance or situation, some other person or thing, and to trust in him once again. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. So you and I are not called to live by our feelings. To live by our feelings that if we feel up and down that that's how our life goes. Feelings are real and feelings are important. But feelings don't tell me any facts about God. We can know who our God is. He's revealed himself to us in the scriptures. We can look at creation and see his power. The heavens declare the glory of God. And God speaks specifically to us in his word. Telling us who he is. And he is unchanging. And he is an ever-present help in time of need. It's that that gives us a rock solid security in the midst of the craziness of life. So what does it look like practically for you to pursue trusting in the Lord on a daily basis? I want to give you three short things, three things that I want you to tease out more in community this week. Three short things. Here's the first one, to believe his promises. To believe his promises. That This book that God has given to us, his revealed inspired word is full of promises of what God is communicating, of who he is and what he's doing for us and in us and through us. And we need to come back to his promises over and over and over again. We need to be in this word, devouring it, hungering after it, seeking to be satisfied by what God says about himself in it. To be reminded of those promises. The second thing we can do is commune with the Father. And we should come before God often and honestly, believing our God is a God who hears and cares. As we see his promises in his word, we can come before him and and recite those promises to him, saying, God, I'm having a hard time believing this. I want to believe, but I have unbelief. God, would you help me? Help me to trust in you afresh. Help me to trust in you anew. And then, third and finally, we need to gather in community. We need to be surrounded by God's people. I think that's one of God's means of grace towards us is that we walk through the craziness of this life. We don't do so on our own. We're surrounded by spirit-filled people who are encouraging us once again to place our trust in God. And so we need to gather together and share life, like really share our lives with one another. Not pretending, not putting up facades, not faking it, but being honest and real about where we're struggling, honest and real about the good things in life that we're celebrating together. Gather in communities, believe his promises, commune with the father. And listen, it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what kind of experiences you've had in life. All of us can do those things. We all need protection and security. All of us. It doesn't matter if you're five, 15 or 50. It doesn't matter if your greatest fear right now, if you're honestly your greatest fear right now is, is being in the dark in a dark room at night. It doesn't matter if your greatest fear right now is being away from your parents. It doesn't matter if your greatest fear right now is the fear of missing out or the fear of loneliness or loss of identity. It doesn't matter if your greatest fear right now is finding purpose in your life or the loss of a loved one or just not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. It doesn't matter what your greatest fear is. What Psalm 125 tells us is that if and when we trust in God and trust in Jesus, he provides the security we need. We don't have to fabricate security on our own. See, the truth of this psalm isn't a call to disregard things that are truly dark and dangerous. It just puts them in their rightful place, submitting them to who God is. It gives us and reminds us of a way to throw them all off as we sojourn together. Our circumstances may not change. We may not have more answers. We will still struggle with sin. There will be moments where we struggle with insecurity and fear in a fallen world. And maybe we may even wander and falter away. But God does not. He is a solid rock. Listen, your security does not come from the strength of your faith or your performance or your abilities. Your strength, your security comes from God. And he will keep you to the end when your faith and trust is in the Savior. So friends, danger and difficulty are never too much for Jesus. There is no circumstance of your life that is too much for him. So turn to him today. Trust in him every day as long as it's called today, knowing that he surrounds you from this time forth and forevermore. You know, one way that we can display a fresh trust in God is by taking communion each week. Like when you literally get up out of your seat and take steps towards the table to eat the bread, a picture of Christ's body broken for you, and drink the cup, a picture of Christ's blood for you. When you move towards that table, you're expressing your trust once again in the Savior. It's an opportunity for you to confess that I've been trusting in other things. I've been seeking security in something else besides you, God. Take time as you walk forward, as you sit in your seat, to confess that to the Lord. And then come forward and receive that gift of grace to be refreshed, nourished spiritually. Believing once again of what Christ has done for you. Renewing that covenant commitment that God has made to you. That he will be your God and you will be his people. And he will never leave you and never forsake you because of what Christ has done for you. Communion each week is an opportunity to rehearse the good news of the gospel. To declare once again that we believe, that we trust in him more than anyone else or anything else. So come forward and receive that gift this morning. Walk in repentance. Walk in fresh faith this morning. No matter how weak or feeble you were when you came in here today. Now, come to your Savior. And for those of you that don't yet know Christ, we just ask you not to come forward to partake of this meal because this is a declaration that we are trusting in Jesus. Instead instead of coming forward, I want to invite you to trust in Jesus right now for the first time. That you'd sit in your seat And you'd cry out to God and confess your need for a Savior. You're recognizing maybe in this moment that you've been trying to find security, trying to find hope in something or someone else. That's where you're at. Confess that to the Lord this morning. Repent, turn away from that, and turn to Jesus today. He is your only hope. And if you make that decision today to trust in Christ, let somebody around you know that so we can walk with you in that and help you journey together. We need each other. So let us walk with you as we journey together to Jesus. For those of you that will come forward, you can come to the tables at the front or the tables in the back. Tear off a piece of bread, take a cup to drink, and what Christ our Redeemer has done will be spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. God, we come for you this morning and we praise you for your faithfulness and we praise you for your patience. God, we are so fickle at times. We are so tossed to and fro on the waves wind of this culture in this world. God, I pray that you would help us to be reminded and refreshed this morning that you are our solid rock. That apart from you, we are going to have ups and downs, but God, I pray that you'd help us today to trust in you, to know that, that you surround us like the mountains surround Jerusalem, that we can be secure and unmovable when our hope is in you and you alone. So God, I pray you'd help us in that moment to do that, And I pray that you'd help us as we go out through this week and encounter the temptations and the challenges of the week ahead and this world around us. God, would you help us once again to focus our gaze on you, to be rooted and anchored in you. God, thank you for your grace that you've given us in Christ who took on all of our distrust, all of our misplaced trust, and helps us to know and trust in you this time forth and forevermore. God, we praise you this morning. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Mm Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.